Oh Lord, we just come before you and we just thank you for this precious gift that you've given us today. This is beautiful presence of your amazing grace. Lord, we pray that your word would go forth and it would be on good fertile soil. Mm. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. Here we go. According to the grace of God, this is Paul speaking, according to the grace of God, which which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Mashiach. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. He will be escaped, yet so as through fire. So, and worship, I was hinting at this idea of foundational principles. And so I, I'm, I'm reading this, uh, this verse this week, uh, and the word foundation just kept coming out, right? In his scripture verse, it talks about building adequate foundations. And so um, another word for foundations would be essentially the fundamentals. And so I believe that as believers... Sometimes we go astray from our fundamentals, from our foundations, okay? And it's very important to to get that right because, as it's been said, the deeper the foundations, the taller the building. So we're like, all right, Lord, how come you haven't built up this place the way in which you have said you were going to build up this place in Bristol? And I believe that it is a notion that he is building good, sturdy, strong, deep, wide foundations. Because as he builds those, he then can build upon us. Anyone like, you know, you're waiting for something in your life and it hasn't happened yet, you're like, what's going on? Good chance the Lord is just building uh, foundations for you. Okay? It's okay, Josh is just doing a little tech stuff. Not to be distracted. Okay? So here's the problem with, uh, with foundations, or lack thereof. Paul is saying we, we build upon the foundation, which is Jesus. The problem in the body of, of Messiah is that some of us have actually been taught bad foundations. You actually were taught bad foundations in the Lord. Uh, other of us, or others, um, sometimes we get bored with the found, fun, foundations or the fundamentals. Like, oh, I'm so past that. Amazing grace, the love of Jesus. Um, give me something else. You know, sometimes we literally will get bored spiritually from those things. And sometimes uh, we may even just flat out forget the fundamentals. I remember when I was a kid playing baseball. We would do hours and hours of foundational work. Like, you get on your knee like this, you take the ball, you take the glove, you extend the glove. Raise the, ball, the hand of the ball, 
come through like this, making sure that you're doing the proper rotation. Because if you didn't do that, what would happen here is um, you would become a ball player that would throw, for lack of a better phrase, like a girl, quote unquote. Well, there's a reason why people say you throw like a girl. It's not because of like the strength. It's because a lot of times of the form. If you're not playing baseball, and I've seen plenty of men throw like this, you lead with your elbow too much, and it goes like that. Or you release the ball too high or too, too soon. It's because you have bad fundamentals. Here's the thing. Um, this is just baseball, but you know, and when you're in t-ball, you can get away with bad fundamentals. You totally can get away with it. But if you, if you move up and you start playing like legit baseball and you have some greater competition, uh, your talent or your strength is no longer going to work out for you. You have to spend time on the fundamentals, like just hours and hours and hours of getting the technique right. Because you could be a strong kid and you may even have a little bit of talent, great hand-eye coordination, but if you don't work on those fundamentals, your form is going to be off. And when the other kids start to surpass because of their good fundamentals, you're going to be lacking. And I, you know, I've seen it uh, quite a bit. And I'm just going to be honest. I think in, in, in the church at large, I think too many of us are content with being t-ball players. We're too content playing little t-ball in the spirit. Like the Lord has called you to the majors. But many of us are just like, you know what, I'm just going to play t-ball. Put the ball on the tee. Bad technique. It's not what you're destined for. It's not what you're called to. Um, That's not what the Lord has for you. And you got to get it out of your head that that's all you have. Here's the thing, man. You know, decide if you want to be a big fish in a small pond, as the old saying goes. Like, if, if we don't get proper fundamentals down, this is what I'm getting at here. If we don't get proper fundamentals down in our belief system, what's going to happen here is we will just remain big fish in a small pond. In order to get to the majors, in order to be a small fish in a big pond, which is a place of influence, we have to work on our foundational principles. Or the way I'd rather say this is this. Uh, so is the question here, should we be a big fish in a small pond? A small fish in a big pond, or better yet, how about being a big fish in a big pond? Like, you are called to those places. You are called to be movers and shakers in your generation. You are called to judge kings and queens and angels at the end of the age. You're called to be prophets and evangelists and teachers. Now, this is not a new problem. Paul the Apostle was even saying this. He says, man, I yearn that I could give you the meat of the word, but so many of you are still just drinking the milk. Drinking of the milk of the word is simply t-ball. And so there really needs to be this type of graduation that takes place where people are really growing in the Lord. And so it's a question of what ball game do you want to play in? What kind of pond do you want to be in? And it comes down to fundamentals. So, you know, what kind of influence do you want to have in the kingdom? And do you actually believe that the Lord has bigger things for you than what you're doing right now? 
And so here's the thing. Why is it that people do not work on fundamentals? Because one, it could be repetitive. One, it could be quote-unquote boring. Uh, it can be like, well, we just want the big game. We want to move on to other things. <laughs> if you do not work on the fundamentals, the Lord will not bring you into new places. He can't. Because if you're a t-ball player and you just go to major leagues without developing the fundamentals, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get really hurt. And so it's really an issue of the message today of 212 degrees. We were talking about this uh, several uh, months ago and it really caught. Like Some of the guys were like, yo, I'm really into it. There's something on this idea of 212. I know a book was uh, written. But 212 degrees. And so the foundational or fundamental principle that I think that a lot of us have lost is the power of perseverance. The power of suffering. And uh, this is a principle that I, that I think that we've, we've largely lost in the faith. Josh and I were just talking, I think when we get back from Israel next week, Kate is going to be teaching. Awesome word, I read the text, he sent to Josh, it looks like it's going to be very powerful, very powerful, do not miss it. Mario, please record it, if you can, on your phone. Um, <clears throat> but when we get back, I think we're going to, we're going to, I think we're going to do a sermon series on like some foundational principles, then we're going to call it like the 10 foundational principles which are not the 10 commandments. <laughs> 10 commandments are great, but there are foundational principles that I think we've lost. And one of them, I think, is uh, perseverance, because I'm just telling you this. In the place of perseverance is the place of transformation. If you don't want to be transformed, you're in the wrong faith. If you don't want to persevere and go through a little fire, you're in the wrong faith. You should go do something else. Just cut to the chase, go do something else. Because <laughs> the place of transformation comes through the place of perseverance or some level of suffering. So here's the thing, right? We have an option. We, we, we talked about 211 degrees. 211 degrees for water is hot, or for maybe we should say lukewarm. It's the place of being a big fish in a small pond. It's the place of the ordinary Christian life. Satan is okay with you. You're redeemed. You're saved. You're going to heaven. He's, he's like, what do I have to worry about this one for? He or she's not taking any with him. You could be 211. You could be warm. Just be warm. Satan's like, hey, there's one. Let's get into the pearly white gates. Yeah, we're getting there. That's the place of 211. You're saved, you're doing your thing, but you're not making any impact on the kingdom. You're essentially lukewarm. But here's the thing, right? 212 degrees. It's one degree different. One degree warmer. And you're no longer warm. You're now boiling. I know we went over this before, but some of you weren't here. At 211 degrees, water is hot. At 212, it boils. And with boiling water comes steam. And with steam, you can power a train. One degree more, exponential results. I'm telling you that we are like at a rolling boil in this church. We're like 211 and a half. 
I'm telling you guys, this year, 2019, 2020, I am believing full heartedly, because it's got a word from the Lord, that we're moving into a place of 212. There are amazing things that are coming down the pike to this place. Uh, Jose and Dana are opening up a worship school in Bristol, in this place. There will be young people from around the world, around the country, who will be coming here during the day to learn about worship, and many of them will be attending. That is happening this year. There is another ministry that is very prayerful, I'm not going to say who it is, but is very prayerfully considering uh, moving from the Midwest to come here. Uh, they have a healing ministry. People literally from around the world will get on airplanes and go to this place and people will, they have it on YouTube, will be getting out of the wheelchairs and they may be coming here. I am telling you that we are at 2, 11 and a half and all we need is a little bit more. I'm asking you, do you want to be a part of that? Whoa, 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 you know, so, so we are so quick to say, okay, we'll talk later then, because go from 211 and a half to 212, there are things that happen, fire comes, fire comes, the fire is the testing of the faith. Fire is a place of transformation, but it's also the place where you need perseverance. It's a place of difficulty, a place of suffering. It's a place where things are not so hunky-dory all the time. It's a place where you cut your life lost. You pick up your cross daily, literally. Like you are like, and sometimes in a rough spot. Yes. This is a fundamental principle that I think we have largely lost. What, we have to persevere? You mean things don't just go away all the time? You mean I have to go through hard times? Yes, they happen. So, 212 is that place of boiling. And in that place, steam is emitted, and the steam is able to empower machinery. Like, your abilities have just multiplied by so much. There's such an impact that has happened. And let's just get a little basis for this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, man. And to the angel of the congregation of, of the Laodiceans writes, These things say the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is an angel speaking to the congregation of Laodicea. I know your works. That you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. <laughs> to be an ordinary Christian, it says it'd be better that you just be cold the Lord is just going to vomit you out. That's amazing stuff. He's saying this to a congregation. Well, why, why, are they so, why are they so lukewarm? Why are they not fiery hot? Like, what's going on? Well, he tells us. 
I'm going to vomit you out. Why? Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve, and you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is going on in Laodicea, this lukewarm church? They're neutral. Today, I remember we, I remember, I remember we had an argument at the house because I wanted to paint the, uh, the, the dining room, Tibetan orange. It's like, poof! And Michelle wanted to paint it neutral. And we had this whole thing. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm weird. I'm like, I'm so tired of neutral. Everything in the suburb is neutral. Everyone has a neutral beige, beige house. Everything is tan or some kind of tan or beige or gray or slate. Come on, we need some of the little poof. I'm so tired of neutral. Suburbia is neutral. It's not quite country, it's not quite city, it's in between, it's neutral. It's not quite super wealthy, it's not quite really poor, it's neutral. It's like so much, like so many of us, even now, real like neutral hues on Instagram. Everything is neutral hues because it's very, it's very comforting. It's not, but it's very lullaby-ish. It's what you give in nursery. It's what, what is done to keep people subdued. And we fall into this trap of being neutral. Now, what does the scripture say here? All right, you're neutral, or rather you are lukewarm because, because you pursue wealth and comfort. I believe that the fundamental principle here is that in, in, in the church at large, it's a teaching. It's a teaching that Jesus came to make you comfortable. He's come to bestow blessings of wealth upon you. That is the message of a lukewarm church. If you are comfortable in the gospel, you're not living the gospel. It's meant to be uncomfortable. They will persecute you for my namesake. Okay? You have to pick up your cross, die to flesh daily. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not like, let me serve King Jesus and now have all of my needs and wants met. Not a vending machine. Look, I don't want to judge anyone, but like, I, I just, I'm just going to be honest with where I was at. The way I got to Bristol Church was like, I am sick and tired of going to a place where I'm not needed. Like, I have been loving the Lord for decades. Like, I have something to give. And I wasn't a pastor yet. I was like, I just want to go somewhere where I'm needed and I'm doing something. Because I'm tired of sitting in the chair and sitting in the pews and getting fed and fed and fed. If you get fed and you do not do things, you get fat. And it's the same thing in the spirit. You get bloated. You have to. You get fed and you got to do something. You got to burn some spiritual calories. 
And after like several decades, I was like, man, I am bloated in the things of the Lord. And this is the thing, right? It's, it's not about us receiving, receiving, receiving. There is a certain level of discomfort that comes in following Jesus. It's the call of the gospel. Right? And anything else that is taught, I'm just going to be real with you, it's not the gospel. Does he want to bless you? Of course. Does he want to love on you? Of course. Does he, does he want to give you things? If I ask for a loaf of bread, he's not going to give me a stone. Yes, of course. That's not the sole message. The message is pick up the cross. Die to self. Deny yourself. What, what else is said in Revolution, Revelation 4 uh, to this, this church? He, he says, look, you, you've grown neutral. You've grown lukewarm. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Unless you do these things. Be refined by fire. You see, what, see the connections? To get from two, 211 degrees to 212 degrees of boiling, you need fire. And say this in Revelation 4. Be refined by fire. I am sitting at the door waiting. I want you to overcome and sit in heavenly places. So what's going on here? Look, look. A fire comes. That refines you. That fire comes. The Lord is there with you. And you're going to overcome and sit in heavenly places. Be elevated in the things of the faith. And that's where 212 happens. That's where the boiling process happens. John. Amen. That's what a refining process is. But it's hot. And it burns things up. And it raises things to the surface. And I'm just going to be real with you. Many of us, the Lord starts showing us things that we need to deal with. We're like, Psh, pushing it down. I want to live my ordinary life. Because to confront the things that are left over of the flesh, if you get real with the Lord, it's, it, it, it sometimes hurts. Or it hurts a lot. Because you've got to really deal with it. And so this is what's going on here. To boil... You need to go through the fire. In this fire, you are not consumed, but you're transformed. It's a fire. It's, it's non-consuming, but fire that does not destroy you, but it, it's there to transform you from 211 degrees to 212 degrees to reduce steam, power in your life. Fundamental principles. James 1. James a bondservant, also another name for slave. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus the Messiah. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. I always love that. He's actually writing a letter to the twelve tribes of Israel. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to, to all liberating without reproach. And it will be given to him. Guys, James, or rather Jacob the disciple, is saying, I glory when persecution and difficulties come. 
What? It's not like I'm going to like whip myself like the Catholics did a thousand years ago. But he's like, man, I'm ready. If trouble comes, trials, tribulations, the fires of life come, I'm ready for it. And not only am I ready for it, I'm excited for it because I know it's going to do what? Transform me into the image of Messiah. That's a fundamental principle of the gospel. It's crazy. Perseverance defined persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Being persistent. Being persistent. I don't see the success, success yet, but being persistent. The problem with this stuff of perseverance, of patience, of suffering is this. It's a human dilemma. The human dilemma is this. Humans usually pick the path of least resistance. We like the easy way. This is why we have the inventions that we do. All inventions that we have are all, all inventions to give us a more comfortable life. An easier life. Like chopping wood and burning it in a fireplace was too much. Let's burn fossil fuels and, you know, hit buttons on my thermostat. But that's too much. I don't want to get off from the couch. Let me just take out my phone and use the app to change the temperature. Oh, dear heavenly Jesus. I can't handle the heat in the church. It's too hot. They have the windows open. It's too hot. And it's like 82 on the thermostat. Like, really? It's 82. Pretend you're at the beach. No, but all inventions have been created to ease, to give comfort. Human beings like this. We like this. But there's, a, there's an unfortunate but also beautiful mystery then I'll be honest, when, when this message is over, a lot of us just be like, yeah, I'm forgetting about that one. No, I'll be real. I've been around long enough. I'm, this is a foundational principle that mankind has lost. Like, the, the lost, the unsaved have, have lost this principle. And the church has lost this principle largely as well. Here's the mystery. The mystery is... That we know from psychologists, sociologists, and most importantly from the word of the Lord. That real happiness comes through progress. Progressing. This is why people who seek their happiness through money are never happy until they get more money. And they're still not happy because they want more money. Here's, here's like the hint. They are actually not looking for more money. They're looking for more progress. And people will hide their lack of progress on internal things by focusing on external things. You have been built to progress. To be molded into the image of Messiah. And that's not money. It's on deeper things. Now here's the thing. If we're stagnant, if we're not progressing, if we're not changing and being molded into a, a, a version of the Lord, uh, we become mundane and ordinary and we're not very happy. Uh, this is something that the theologians call progressive sanctification. Becoming a, essentially a better version of the self, being sanctified and molded more into the image of the Lord. The key here, the key foundational principle is to be molded and transformed, a refiner's fire must come. 
To go from 211 degrees to 212 degrees, the fire gets turned up. So many of us, instead of engaging the fire and the flames, we try to get out of the flames. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this way, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm telling you, this is going to unlock. If you get, if you get this, it's going to unlock so much of your angst in life. You have been molded and created and saved to progressively be molded and changed into the image of the Lord. If you're not doing that, you are going to be nasty. You're going to be angry. You're going to be depressed. You're going to feel like you have no purpose to your life. Because you were designed to progress. To be molded into the image of the Lord. You were designed to go from 211 to 212. I got done reading this uh, book by a Navy SEAL. So good. So good. It's called Can't Hurt Me. It's, dude, I, I, can't, I can't even tell you like the craziness that his life went through. But he, uh, anyway, he makes it a purpose every single day to stare into the mirror. And look at himself in the mirror and have moments of like, what kind of man am I? Who do I want to be? What things do I need to work on? Now notice here in this scripture it says, as a mirror, I would encourage you to look at a mirror. You are saved by grace. He loves you. There is nothing that you can do that will ever separate you from the love of the Father. We know that. But I encourage you to get some foundational principles down and look at yourself in the mirror and take note. See, I, grace, 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 grace. Yes, there's grace. Is also laying down your life. See, we, we've gone so far into the place of grace, if there's such a thing. We've misunderstood the realities of things. That you are called to be molded into the image of the Lord. That comes with sacrifice. That comes sometimes with pain. Like real pain and suffering. And you need to look in the mirror. And you got to say, what's keeping me from being 212? Which things in my life that are of the flesh that need to go? Because tomorrow or today, I want to be a better version of myself. Because that's the molding into the image of the Lord. Can I get an amen or something? Amen. These are foundational principles that have been lost, I think. Because we live in the West where everything's hunky-dory. I'm going to pray. And you guys are all going to give me money so I can buy a private jet. <laughs> Two? Come on, man. Like, we, we, we got to get back into this place of understanding what's going on. So the fundamentals of perseverance. Uh, one thing is this. Um, you have to understand this. Basic fundamentals. Remember? Pitching. 
A lot of people in the church that forgot that. Fundamental. This is not your home. Do not get comfortable. Just think about that revelation alone. How much of our lives are building up comfort? I want to be more comfortable. I need to be more comfortable. I want this certain type of life. I want this. I want this. Dude, the scriptures say this is not your home. You're, this is, you don't have citizenship here. You're just passing through. So if this is not your home, what's the deal? When we're here, we're being molded into our heavenly home. And that molding comes through fire, through testing, through perseverance. The fire is the place of transformation. Let me, let me, let me clarify. The fire are the, the things that come in our life that's going to produce opportunity to transform. Now, when things come to us, the typical Westerner says, I don't want these things happening to me. I get it. But if you can change your thinking like James and says, okay, when these difficulties come, good. It's an opportunity. Oh, I lost my job? Good. It allows me to rely on the Lord a little bit more, for me to work on my resumes, for me to get a better job. Oh, I am, got a report from a doctor that I'm not so healthy. Good. That's shocking news, but it's going to allow me to now make better decisions in my life to be more healthy. Now, let me clarify this. The fires that come, what is it not? I'll make this very clear because we've had problems with this in the past in miscommunication. God does not give you disease, sickness, illnesses. He does not give that to you. That is from the pit of hell. That's not the fire I'm talking about. But it is a fire. I want to clarify. Does the Lord use these fires of life that are not from Him for His glory? Absolutely. But it's not like God's like, let me give you a disease. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not the Lord. But will He use those experiences that we have on life for a purpose? Yes. We, we know this to be true. They come to Jesus in the New Testament and say, what sin has this man done? Why is he paralyzed? Is it his sin? Is it the sin of his fathers that have caused him to do this? I've heard that in modern church. Well, this person is sick because they're sinning. I've heard it. I've heard it. Now, may, may, that actually could be true. I mean, if like, you make bad living decisions, right? and you're living in, in sin when it comes to eating and what you're putting into your mouth and into your system, uh, you may be reaping that. But what does the Lord say? No, he did not sin. His parents did not sin. The reason why he is paralyzed is so that the Lord, my Father, will be glorified. Now get up and walk. So the Lord uses these places of sufferings and these places of difficulty to give the Father glory. Like, can we, when we're going through, can we set our eyes on that? Amen. Oh, man, this bad thing has befallen me, but you know what? My Father's going to be glorified in it because the healing is coming. Because there's going to be a restoration, because there's going to be something. 
it also is this place of not just to see the Lord be glorified because you're healed, but he also uses these difficult, fiery moments to bring forth a transformation of you. Like he's going to use, it may, he may not be giving you the thing, but he'll use the thing so that you're transformed. I think there's no better example of this uh, than a book that all of you right now should go on Amazon and buy, right now. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Anyone ever read it? Dude, you have to read it. He's not a believer, he's a Jewish man who's not a believer, who survived the Holocaust. And he, I'm telling you, there's so many kingdom principles in there that will just wreck you. And so what happens here is this. He, he is a clinically trained psychologist, a doctor in Vienna. The Nazis come. He gets thrown to Auschwitz. And he's there. And it is like the worst place maybe ever created on this side of hell. It's Auschwitz. It's the, the bad one. They're all bad, but this is like the bad of the bad. Like this is the place where they're taking skin and, and, and turning Jewish skin into like lampshades and stuff. Like taking their fat and making candles. Like I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Israel. There's, there's, there's a rug up on the wall made out of Jewish hair. They had to take it down because Americans couldn't handle it. Like bad stuff. But he's a clinically trained psychologist. This is like an, a, a very morbid field study. And he said both the Nazis and also the inmates, but really he focuses on the inmates, do some very bizarre things. He's like, some inmates would actually take your food from you, the little bit of food you had. I mean, everyone's on the brink of starvation, right? Like beating you up, taking a pillow, putting it over your head to suffocate you so they can have your ration of little soup. He said he saw that happen. Like a fellow person in a concentration camp, the animal came out of them to try to survive. But then he said, but then he saw other people. He saw other people. Someone's phone's ringing. He said he saw other people who did not like steal other people's bread and little water, soup, whatever the heck it would be. He said he saw other people go over to another person and say, you have it. I think I might be able to last another day. Or I don't know if I can even last another day, but you have it. And he says, how can this be? How can... Two people from the same community, one choose one path, the other choose the other path. And he has a whole clinical psychology called logotherapy that talks about it, very brilliant stuff. And he says what he realizes here is that there's two types of people on earth. And he comes to this conclusion, man's search for meaning, right? Here's a quote. The point is not what we expect from life, but rather what life expects from us. What he says here is the people who are willing to do the dirty things, the suffocating, the stealing, all that kind of stuff, they're a type of person who expects that life has something to give to them. And they didn't get it. And it's not fair. 
So they're willing to do these egregious acts. Like the spoiled brat, like, no, you owe me something. And he says, fine, you know, in a normal world, when people do that, fine, maybe they're just like a bratty kid. But when you're in the belly of the beast, when you're in a concentration camp in 1942 in Auschwitz, that type of person becomes an animal. But he said, but yet there's another type of person who realizes that I'm here because life expects something from me. And he said, that type of person approaching death, starving, can say, I'm going to live one more day just so that I can give back to life. That's the difference in the place of transformation. You can't get any worse. Can anyone like fathom anything possibly worse than a concentration camp when you're starving to death? Like, can anyone even more sinisterly come up with something more grotesque? What if you were a believer in that environment? You're like, well, the Lord says if I pray, I'm going to get my million dollars. What about all the people who were believers, who didn't escape? They didn't escape. Why? Why is that? Why? Like, Because your life is not about getting. Your life is about being molded in the image of Jesus. And this is just temporary. Like you get to give back. You get to show the world the Lord. But a dude sitting there in a concentration camp, you know he's going from 211 to 212. He's fiery hot. You gotta be. Otherwise, you're gonna be completely consumed. If we have a worship team calling out, please. We're gonna go back to 1 Corinthians, and I, I wanna read this again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. According to the grace of God, which has given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. Foundation stones. Another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus the Messiah. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by the fires and difficulties, the trials, the tribulations, the persecution, the place of perseverance of life. And it will test you. It's going to test your work. And find out what sort of person you are. If anyone work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, and yet so as through fire. So we're just going to break it down. Verse 10, Paul says, look, I as your father in faith, I've laid the foundation to your faith. But be careful how you build on it. The foundation can only be the gospel. Jesus. Death, resurrection. Carrying your cross. Loving your life not unto death. Be careful, Corinth. Because he says some of you are starting to build on it with bad material. The bad material looks really nice. The gold, the silver, 
the precious, the wealth. Your building, your faith is not about those things. He says the fire is going to come and it's going to be tested. The trials, the tribulations. If it burns you up, don't worry, you're going to be saved. The difficulties come, don't worry, you're still going to be saved, but you have just escaped, some verses say, or some translations say. You guys can start whenever you want. Guys, fires come of life. And you're going to know what you're made out of once they come. When everything's hunky-dory, what everyone could be like, oh, I believe in Jesus. But when the fires of life come, man, now we're going to see what you're really made of. And you can be two types of people. You can be a 211-degree person that says, all right, my life has been burned up. I'm going through difficulties. I surrender to it. It's over. Fine. You've escaped. You're saved. But come on, man. The Lord has not called you to be a people that just escape. He's called you to be victorious. More than a conqueror, right? A son and daughter of God. You're not called to just escape the difficulty. You're called to be transformed through it. Amen. You can only be victorious through these difficulties if you have the right foundation. If you're lukewarm, if you're 211 degrees, ah, no worry, the troubles of life are going to come, it's going to jack you up, it's going to mess you up, it's going to do all these things to you, but you're saved. Don't worry, you're saved. The 212, the place of boiling, man, is the power to impact the kingdom. The power to impact the world. And whether you're 211 degrees or 212 degrees, the fires of life will come. But what if? What if? What if when the fires come, you are already filled with the fire of God? What if when the difficulties come, you're already boiling? What if the fires of life come and you're already 212 degrees? You know water can't get any higher than 212? Stops. 212. Can't get any hotter. I think. I guess it does and it's going to turn into steam, but the, the water itself, right? You know what? Water can get hotter? Yeah. If it's under pressure. Under pressure? Superheating, yeah. I was... What I'm trying to get at here with this, fires come, but if you're already boiling hot and you're not lukewarm, if you're not neutral, if you're really on fire for the Lord, when that heat comes and those difficulties come, like it's just going to, it's not even going to transform you because you've already been transformed. Like it's going to empower you. Like it's going to be even more heat. Like you're such a burning flame. You're like, yeah, bring it. When the winds of life come, it comes. And what does wind do to a fire? It fans the flame. About a year ago, I did a teaching on be the fire and wish for the wind. Like if you're James, you're like, bring it. 
Bring the difficulty. It's just going to empower me. It's just going to make Jesus more exalted in my life. Can you imagine thinking like that? You can only think like that when you go from 2.11 to 2.12. When you're Paul, when you're James, when you're Peter, when you're Jesus. So this is the principle. Small difficulties come and you can be molded into the likeness of the Lord. So that when the bigger fires come, instead of it destroying you, you'll be able to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. To go from 2.11 and 2.12, you have to pass through some difficulties. And then you got to say, good. Now Jesus gets to be lifted up even higher in my life. Can you imagine that? Things are happening, man. It's just a time that I could praise Jesus even more. That's a time when the world is going to look at me and be like, how can you be so peaceful? Like, oh, because I have Jesus. But, th- but, th- but this, but that, but that. I know, but I have Jesus. And you show the world what's going on. And you love your life, not unto death. A lot of us love our lives. This is the people where it's like, if I go, I go. I get to show people Jesus through it. <sighs> Close for real with this. We're still a little early. First Samuel chapter 17, I think you know what it's about. David and Goliath. Jesus. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. You guys probably know this story. The great Philistine Goliath has come to go to battle against the armies of Israel and against King Saul. And no one has the guts to go up against him, do they? And there's a little shepherd boy who's like, I'm ready. And Saul is like, you're crazy, kid. You can't go fight him. No one can stand up to him. It's like a big fire. It's a big issue. It's a big thing. You can't handle it. Oh, I love David. Then David, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. You're a kid. And he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, and went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. See, people want to defeat the Goliath in their life. But first, they need to kill the lion and the bear. 
Many people have this view of where their life is supposed to be and what you're going to do in the Lord and what you're going to do in the kingdom. And I'm going after all this kind of stuff. You cannot kill a Goliath until you kill a lion or bear. What does that mean? You can't go after Goliath unless you've been trained through the furnace of God. There are plenty of people in the church today who could not kill a metaphysical lion or bear. That's the small thing. David is like, I use the small things and spit it out to get me to the big things. There's so many people in the Western church who can't even handle the little, cheesy, ridiculous, small, mediocre things. But those mediocre things are what trained David for big things. So it's this. As Dr. King said, unearned suffering is redemptive. If things come your way that are difficult and you haven't deserved it because you haven't done it, it's a place of fire of redemption where the Lord is going to transform you. But I'm just being real with you. It's a principle that we've lost. Like we just, we just want our ordinary life. We want our cake and eat it too. It's like I want to serve King Jesus but still have my wants and needs and my comforts met. I'm telling you, it's time for us to get uncomfortable again. And it's not an easy prayer. Because we live in a society that has built itself completely off of comfort. Everything is comfort. It's like, where are the men of valor of David's time? Bring me to the well. I'm going to go up and cut foreskins off of Philistines, Philistines for a bride price. Where's the Samson that takes the jawbone of a, of, a, of a donkey and slays the enemies of God? These men did what they did because of discomfort first. Moses, 40 days in the wilderness before he's transformed on the mountain of God. I'm telling you, we cannot become what we're destined to become if we stay in a place of comfort, the place of neutrality, the place of a bath water, it's not going to happen. And it'll, we'll stay the 40 of us. And you'll live your ordinary life and you'll die with a smile on your face. I want to be a person not out of legalism, not out of striving. But I want to be a person that is willing to look at myself in the mirror. Say, Lord, I know your grace is here for me. And I know you love me. And I know no matter what I do, you're still going to love me. But my response to you is, Lord, I want to be transformed. I want to put those things away. Like, we as a church need to repent from comfort. Like, a legitimate repentance. The greatest enemy of great is good. Satisfaction. I used to have hanging up in my classroom a cutout from a, a trail running magazine. The guy's sitting on the couch and just says, Couches kill. Because the old thing running like hills kill, you hurt, couches kill, comfort kills. 
Comfort tames you. <laughs> Comfort tames you. I feel like this is a prophetic word for people out here. I feel like there are people that in their life they're living in a zoo. They're on display. You're tamed. You're a lion. You're a bear. You could be destined to be such ferocious people. But you're tamed in the zoo or tamed in the circus. I feel the Lord is just saying that there needs to be a spirit of the wolf. Lions and bears are bigger and stronger than wolves. And the wolf says to the lion, the wolf says to the bear, you may be stronger and bigger than me, but wolves do not perform in the circus. Wolves really can't be tamed. It was the last time you went to a circus and saw a pack of wolves. Wolves howl at the moon. Wolves are untamable by the spirit of the age. They're wild creatures. The curse of the dog, our pet. Is that the dog succumb to the comfort of man. He succumbed to our fire. He succumbed to our shelter. And he's been domesticated. He no longer howls at the moon anymore. He no longer runs the fields anymore. I don't know if that was for someone. I believe it was. I just give it to you, Lord, to do what you want with it. So, Father, I pray that we can get this fundamental principle down. We embrace difficulty. Be willing to be transformed. It's the image of your Son. Lord, that we would get rid of some of the comforts of life. Some of those things that we're relying on a little too much and be willing to be made uncomfortable so that we can be conformed to your image. Amen? Amen. Have a wonderful week. We have some refreshments downstairs. I and some of the others will see you in, uh, I'll see you in two weeks. I think the others will see you in three weeks because of our trip to Israel. Please be praying for us. We hope to see you tonight. 
at Washington's Crossing. Amen? Feel free to stay in the spirit with the team worships if you like.